So welcome everyone, it's so nice to see you all here. It's lovely to see so many of you here to celebrate Easter together with us. It's so fab. Um, we like to be comfortable in life, don't we? We just like things to be nice, to make us feel good, you know. And it's how advertisers sell us stuff to make your life better. It's all about you, your comfort. And um, I put this up on Facebook and I got some interesting replies. Um, you know, what are the things that you think of adverts that make you feel better or make your life easier, more comfortable? So there's a few you probably will recognize. Carlsberg, probably the best lager in the world. Maybe if Carlsberg did Easter Sundays, it might be like today, hopefully. Things go better with Coke, that's Coca-Cola. Is it twining tea or twinning tea? Twi twining tea. Did you know that twining tea can get you back to you? Or if you want to rediscover yourself, the place to go is obviously Galgorm Resort and Spa, because that's where you can rediscover yourself. When you eat a bounty, you will get a taste of paradise. On a virgin holiday, everyone gets treated like a rock star, and so you should. And who's going to show their age and admit they remember happiness is a cigar called Hamlet? Yeah, see a few hands there. So that's the world that we live in. You know, we, we like this vision of comfortable, happy lives. We don't like pain and suffering. And, and in fact, our culture tells us to avoid it at all costs. It's very consumeristic. It's all about me and it's all about my comfort. So we do what we can to avoid pain, don't we? We stay comfortable, we numb pain, we like to make the uncertain certain. We might do this in different ways, maybe through too much food, too little food, alcohol, drugs, sex, exercise, or we might simply just push pain down, we numb it. We blame, it's someone else's fault. I can't deal with my own pain or grief, so I'll blame someone else and I'll displace my negative emotion onto them. We perfect if we could just control everything, just keep it the way we want it. We won't have to deal with any of our negative emotions. We won't have to deal with failure, disappointment, that kind of thing. Or we pretend that what we're doing doesn't affect other people, or we pretend that everything's okay. We push away pain and we pursue comfort. You know, I really started thinking about all of this because of our friends Jim and Corin in Canterbury Vineyard. They're the pastors there. In November, just before her fourth birthday, their little girl, Sophia Rose, was taken ill. They brought her into hospital. And within a few days, she was diagnosed with leukemia. And Sophia Rose is continuing to get treatment and loads of people are praying for her. Um, our wee prayer team's praying for her and her mum and dad and her three big brothers. And Jim has been off work since then, not at church because he's caring for her and their family. But recently he spoke in their church um, to update them on some of the journey they've been on, what God's been doing in their life through this really difficult time. And I listened to his talk and I was so moved by what he said. He said, journeys like this reframe and rename what life looks like. We've all succumbed to that culture of consumerism and comfort. And our comfort is the grand assumption. But what if that's not God's first priority? You know, eternity is the goal. And what if that maybe involves our suffering and sacrifice as it did our Savior? And Jim said, sitting in cancer wards with families, many of whom have no concept of Jesus or prayer or hope, 
It gives him a desire to do church less and to change the world more, that the church would be relevant, you know, that people can experience that reality of Jesus. And so Jesus is doing something bigger than just our comfort. And in the midst of that, the amazing thing is that he shows up and reveals himself and his goodness, and that's the miracle. And Jim says that in the middle of his family's pain, God has been so present. He carries Jim through emotions that he could not possibly deal with on his own. And through Jesus, he is getting through this terrible time. So the Bible is not just a story of individual rescue. It's not just about our personal salvation. That's actually a very Western and consumeristic notion. The Bible is the story of the redemption of all things. And my rescue is just a little part of this. And it might not be a very popular thing to say, but our culture of comfort is just not the Jesus way. He died on a cross so that victory is real, but we work that out through suffering love through crosses. And I actually tried to find a picture of suffering love and I couldn't find them both together, so I put it like this. You know, we know that Jesus didn't avoid suffering. He endured the cross and died for us. That's why we're here today, to celebrate that. But more than that, how he was in death. It's also how he was in life. In Isaiah 53, he's described as a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. He showed his emotions. He wept and he went to his father. Luke five sixteen says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. When he heard about his friend John being put in prison, his response was to withdraw to a solitary place to be with his father. And to love and be alive in this broken world is to suffer. You know, it says in this world we will have trouble because we can't wrap ourselves up in cotton wool. We can't just isolate ourselves from everyone and everything. Jesus was the son of God, but he suffered and loved. In the Bible, Hebrews 5, 7 to 9 says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. So Jesus showed suffering love. You know, he died so that we would have somewhere to go with our pain and suffering and questions and grief. You know, his ultimate pain was to be separated from his father. We know he said on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he went through that so that we wouldn't have to be alone. He was alone so we wouldn't have to be alone in our suffering. So remember, our culture says, you know, avoid pain, avoid suffering, stay comfortable. And we have an enemy who doesn't want us to come to Jesus. He doesn't want us to endure with his help. He doesn't want us to gain strength from our sorrow. He wants us to be crushed by it. He doesn't want the miracle of Jesus showing up in our suffering to happen. And he tries to stop that by encouraging us to numb, blame, perfect, pretend, like we said earlier. And Jesus' response in suffering was to go to his father. And that's a question I have for you today. Where do you go when you're suffering? Where do you go when you're hurting? Suffering invites us to place our hearts in larger hands. In Christ, we see God's suffering for us and calling us to share in God's suffering love for a hurting world. 
the small and even overpowering pains of our lives are intimately connected with the greater pains of Christ. Our daily sorrows are anchored in a greater sorrow and therefore a larger hope. Do we place our suffering into larger hands? I love that line, share in God's suffering love for a hurting world. As my friend Jim said in the hospital rooms of children's cancer wards, in the broken places of this world, we work out suffering love through the crosses we are carrying and over and over again, we can find Jesus there. Rick Warren says this, Jesus understands your pain and he is able to help you. I've shared about Rick and Kay Warren before. I've learned a lot from hearing them speak about the suicide of their son, Matthew, after his lifelong struggle with mental illness and how they find Jesus in that terrible, terrible place. Jesus enters our sadness and in suffering love, he is with us. This is another quote from Henry Nguyen. He has loads to say on this. Mourning makes us poor. It powerfully reminds us of our smallness. But it is precisely here in that pain or poverty or awkwardness that the dancer invites us to rise up and take the first steps. For in our suffering, not apart from it, Jesus enters our sadness, takes us by the hand, pulls us gently up to stand and invites us to dance. We find the way to pray as the psalmist did. You have turned my mourning into dancing because at the center of our grief, we find the grace of God. Jesus enters our sadness for my friend Jim and his family. He says, Jesus is so close. There's many of you here who I know are journeying painful things and Jesus longs to draw near, always longs to draw near. Would we go to him with the things that are, we're holding in our minds and our hearts even today? And um, these are the words of a song called We Still Believe. And I remember singing this when we were um, at Causeway Coast Vineyard. Catherine Scott wrote it um, for a specific time when they as a family were um, suffering personal loss and also some difficult things happening in the church family. And the words are, from the thankful heart to the battle scarred, from the comforted to those who grieve, from the mountaintop to the empty cup, from the waiting to those who have received, we cry out as one, we still believe. We're still surrendering our hearts, your faithfulness is our reward, we still believe. And though the journey has been hard, we will confess your goodness, God, we still believe. You know, this song speaks to me of choosing whatever season we're in, whether we're on soaring wings or shattered dreams, we choose to say we still believe through the fire, through the pain, we offer you our yes again. And I know for many of you here, that's been your story, that Jesus' suffering love has made a way and you've said yes to him over and over and over again. Um. This is promise. This is the last quote from Henry Nguyen, but I loved it so much. Turn my morning into dancing is the name of the book. The losses may be non-negotiables, but we have a choice. How do we live these losses? We are called time and again to discover God's spirit at work within our lives, within us, amid even the dark moments. We are invited to choose life. A key in understanding suffering has to do with our not rebelling at the inconveniences and pains life presents to us. We're invited to choose life, to offer our yes over and over and again. And over and over again, I'm reading about the redemptive nature of suffering love of Jesus and how it's displayed in our lives. Um, 
I just see these quotes all over the place and I love them and I, I just, I probably torture you all by reposting them on Facebook, but I just feel like hope is something that I have to fight for, that I have to choose every day and I'm going to fill myself with those positive things, those things that are, are you know, are speaking hope of Jesus. So this one, Marianne Williamson, something very beautiful happens to people when their world is fallen apart. A humility, a nobility, a higher intelligence emerges just at the point when your knees hit the floor. And um, the other one says, flip back, oh, sorry. <laughs> Deep in your wounds are seeds waiting to grow into beautiful flowers. Sorry, what have I done? Okay, so choosing hope, I need to do that daily. C.S. Lewis says, hardships often prepare ordinary people for an extraordinary destiny. Um, and this is one of Naomi's paintings, my painted bear, I loved it. Often it's the deepest pain which empowers you to grow into your highest self. You know, these messages are all around and they fill me with hope over and over again and I'm choosing that. Rick Warren again says, your greatest ministry will come out of your deepest hurt or pain. And he's speaking from his own personal pain clearly there. And it's something that I'm seeing before my eyes um, in this church. You know, things are rising up and ministries are being birthed because people are letting those seeds deep in their wounds grow into something beautiful because they're encountering the suffering love of Jesus and they're meeting him in that place. And Valerie's just one wee example, and she said it was okay to say, you know, she's had people in her life she loves struggling with things, and it's given her heart for people in similar situations. So um, one of our life groups next term is going to be celebrate recovery for people who want to help other people celebrate recovery and as a formation, as a basis for that. And I encourage you, if that's something you're passionate about too, to speak to Valerie, and you'll hear more about that in the next few weeks. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. God comforts us in all our troubles. It says all and we can comfort others with what we've received. It says there, we share in the suffering love of Christ, we share in his comfort. Those two things go together. So when we block out pain, when we numb, we blame, perfect, pretend, maybe we're blocking out Jesus. If we're blocking out his suffering love, we're blocking out his comfort. And my friend Jim put it as strongly as this, to the degree that you're operating with consumerism as your motivation, that is opposing Christ in your life. Where have I become a worshipper of consumerism such that it's hiding Jesus from me and that the people around me are therefore not experiencing the kingdom through me? I find that so challenging. You know, I'm not saying that we have all the answers, that you have a hard time, you get a knock, you overcome and you bounce back and you're instantly able to comfort other people. 
And some of you know um, that I'm a friend of a, a fan, not a friend, I wish I was her friend, a fan of a lady called Brene Brown. Um, she's a researcher. Um, her work's on vulnerability, shame, courage, living wholeheartedly. And she did this TED talk. They're little short talks if you don't know what they are. Um, it, it went viral and it's been viewed over 19 million times, probably quite a few of them by me watching it over and over again. <laughs> so you have to listen, it's 20 minutes well spent in my opinion, but anyway, I found this other clip because I was intrigued by her and her work and everything. And in this other clip, which I'm not going to show you but I'll tell you about it, she talked about herself as a person coming back to church and coming back to faith which for her was kind of controversial because she's a real academic and some of the academics in the room can tell me why that doesn't go together I thought it would be okay but she was in therapy anyway and she had what she called a breakdown slash spiritual awakening and she talks about that in a humorous way in the talk but she said it's hard and it hurts so I'll go back to church and she was thinking that if she went back to church it would be a bit like an epidural. And if you're not sure what an epidural is, there's lots of midwives around here you can ask. But basically, she thought going back to church would take her pain away. She thought, I'll replace research with church. And when she went there, she found that faith in church was actually not like an epidural at all. It was like a midwife standing beside her saying, push, it's supposed to hurt. You know, and people don't want to feel grief and shame. She thought what faith would say is, I'll take away your pain, I'll take away your discomfort. But what faith said was, I'll end up, I'll, I'll sit with you in it. And for her, that was enough. You know, she didn't feel alone in it anymore. And she shared this story that when she was young, there was a little boy, a little toddler in her neighborhood who died. And they were all at the funeral of this little boy. And the preacher said, this isn't a time to grieve. This is a time to celebrate because this little boy is with God. And she remembers clearly on the way home in the car, her mum said to her, I want to be clear. This is not just a time to celebrate. If you're sad, that's okay. Because be assured, God's weeping too. And love weeps. Um, I read this recently when I was young. I somehow got Christianity backwards. I thought that the resurrection meant that I don't have to face death. I tried to make Christianity into a method to avoid pain. But Christianity is the opposite. It's a redemptive way to experience pain. The suffering love of Jesus is with us as we journey pain, loss, grief. And as a church, as Carrick Fergus Vineyard, we're not the epidural either. We're the midwife. We come as we are, we find a place of hope, and we find someone to say, I'm with you, Jesus is with you, you can do this. And there's people here today who have shared with me that they couldn't have got through the painful times they've had to endure if God had not showed up. Jesus' suffering love makes a way. The Bible says this, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. The suffering love of Jesus is revealed through us. I'm coming into land. Um, 
I want to finish um, reading out a piece that um, I read recently that I found very comforting at a time of sad news. Um, I've put the words up, but I think I've probably made it a bit small, so I'm sorry if you can't read it, but just listen along. And as we come to take communion together, I just really want you to let these words sink in. The world moans loud, but he hears your howl. The world smiles thin, but he touches the depths of your deep grief. The world moves on, but his love moves you. He takes the nails to take your pain. And our God is not a God to merely believe, but to experience. Not only to believe in, but to be held by. A God who not only breaks for you, but breaks with you. A God to not only have creeds about, but to have communion with. A God who not only dies for you, but who cries with you. The God who touches you and binds you and blesses you and heals you and remembers you because he let himself be dismembered. And he is the God we not only believe in, but we know. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt, death or despair. He has touched our tears. He has cut our broken hearts with his scars. He has whispered to the howl, I know, I know. And I've come to begin the making of all things new. We believe because we know. He knows our grief. We know his goodness. And the truth is, we don't need an explanation from God like we need an experience of God. And that is exactly what we get. We get that experience of God when he stretches open his arms on that cross and cries for you, for all your regrets and for all your impossibles, for all that will never be and for all that once was, for all that you can't make right and for all that you got wrong, for your Judas failures and your Peter denials and your Lazarus griefs. I offer to take the nails, the sharp edge of everything, and offer you myself because I want you to take you, you and your wild grief, you and your anger and your disappointment and your wounds and you're not yet there, you just as you are, not some improved version of you, but you. I came for you to hold you, to carry you, to literally save you. He came for us. This Easter, I don't I believe we don't need an explanation from God like we need an experience of God. And as we think about the cross, the suffering love of Jesus as he died there for you and me, the resurrection, the life and hope and redemption he brings as death is defeated, as we gather around the communion table, I really urge you to remember, to hear him whisper this truth. I came for you to hold you, to carry you, to literally save you. Because that's where everything else flows from. And so, on uh, Resurrection Day, Mary, she goes to the tomb and, uh, where they've laid Jesus, and the stone was rolled away, and uh, she has an encounter. She has an encounter with these uh, angels, and they say this, why do you look for the living among the dead? And I think for so many of us, we, we're, we're looking for life, right? We're looking for life in all its goodness and all its fullness. And, and often we are looking in the wrong places. We're looking at this and we look at that and 
the enemy just wants to detract us from life with him. And, uh, and because of Jesus, because of the resurrection, uh, he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. There is no other place. There is no other way to fulfillment and lasting life like he gives to us. And we're going to uh, share in this wonderful thing that he, Jesus, did with his nearest and dearest, his closest friends, the ones, the 12 that he invested his life with. They're in Jerusalem. They're in this room together. They're celebrating the feast, the Jewish feast of Passover. And they have this meal together, which would be customary. And as part of it, he does this incredible thing, which we know very well. And uh, we're going to read through together. And, uh, and here it goes. I'm completely lost now. Here we go. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he given thanks, he broke it and said this. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so that's what we do. It's, isn't it amazing that something... Like this, all those years ago, we, we get together in a, in a sport, well, it's not a sport, it's an assembly hall in a school, and we get to do this. Isn't that, I just think that's amazing. We take a bread roll from somewhere, and we, we say, this is, this is the body of Jesus. And it was broken. He does it then, and we get to do it now. We get to break pieces of bread, and we get to share together in this wonderful thing. Uh, that Jesus did for us. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant, the new promise, the new way it's going to be in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. We remember him this morning. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And the great news is he will come again someday. He will. He will. And there will not be any sickness or sadness or suffering. And all those things that Chantel spoke of this morning. Because when he comes again, that will be that. But today, this day, in this world, in this town, in this place, we get to celebrate what he's done for us. We get to share with this together. And we want to invite you to do that and to be part of that. Um, we've got uh, an area over here and we've got an area over there. And uh, some folks are going to be there gathered to, to share that with you. And uh, there's, uh, there's alcoholic wine and there's Ribena juice. You, you take your pick. And, uh, and this is open to all of you. Those of you that would like to and choose to do that, you are really, really welcome. And uh, those of you that would rather not that's absolutely fine as well. So we don't have ushers and that sort of thing. We'll form an orderly queue. Um, whenever you're ready, folks, uh, you just make your way uh, forwards and you can do that. That'll be great. <laughs>